If you do have a Bible with you, you could uh, break up in your Bible to Acts chapter 12. And if, if you ever forget your Bible, um, or if you don't even have a Bible, actually, we have Bibles out in the front hall there that you can take. We would be, I'd be glad to need to buy more Bibles. So each and every week, those are there for you. If you forget yours, or if you don't even have one, just take one of ours. But we are in Acts chapter 12 today. And I'm just going to dive right in. We're, uh, we're going to break up Acts chapter 12 into two weeks. We'll go verses 1 through 19 this week. Verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries. Uh, before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported, Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. After Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now with any passage in the Bible, we ask ourselves, why is this here? Right? What's the purpose of this? Yes, this, this story has some drama to it. Um, it's humorous. I would argue that this might be the funniest passage in all of Scripture with what Rhoda does and how the people respond. Um, but, but in the end, Peter... He leaves Jerusalem, right? He goes elsewhere. It's not safe for him there. Couldn't Luke just have taken like a few lines to tell us that and then get us on to what's going to happen with Paul? 
the storyline certainly would have worked, but, but God placed it here. Luke placed it here in Acts on purpose. So I'm actually going to borrow a verse that's coming later in next week's passage, verse 24. It says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. From uh, time after time in Acts, no matter what the church has faced, we've seen God's word increase over and over again. More and more people are hearing about Christ, and certainly some reject Christ, but many people have come to know Christ. They've responded to Christ. Hearts are being turned. Eyes are being opened to see the glory of Jesus. We've seen in these chapters in Acts that salvation has come to more and more people who were dead in sin, and now they have life. Right? Now they have the forgiveness of sins because they've come to faith in Jesus. And chapter 12 was a reminder to the, the early church and, and really to every church after it that has read this book of Acts of God's love for his church, of his power of his authority, of his care for his people. Right? This story is for every church, for every Christian that at times maybe feels beaten down or maybe feel like the whole world is against you. Right? It can be easy to look out and see this opposition and that power and this and that against you and feel like, man, what do I do? And forget who it is that we pray to. So chapter 12 starts off just very grim, right? We aren't given much detail, but King Herod, we're told, he laid violent hands on uh, some who belonged to the church. And specifically, we find out that James is dead. Herod killed him with the sword. Most seem to think that he was beheaded with the sword. Uh, this is James, the brother of John, the John who wrote the gospel uh, of John. The two brothers um, in Mark 3, I think, they were lovingly uh, called by Jesus, the sons of thunder. Um, I don't know if you had a nickname growing up, but it's, there's something cool about having a nickname. It feels good when your, your peers or your teacher, maybe, or your coach comes up with a nickname for you. But uh, there's, not, there's not something better than being nicknamed by Jesus. And we, we don't get an explanation as to why Jesus called them the sons of thunder, but certainly there was nothing thunderous about James as he lied there dead. The, the Jews uh, were very, very happy. They were very pleased that Herod had killed James. They were very happy that, that here, one of the 12 leaders of this disruptive upstart religion that, that has become such a, a pest for the Jews that, that Herod silenced one of the 12. And why James? We don't know. Right? Maybe he was vocal uh, about something. Maybe he was calling Herod out on, on some sin in his life. We don't know, but Herod wanted to squash him and, and had him killed. And the, the Jews were very excited about this. And this motivated Herod. Herod behaves uh, like we would expect a politician to behave. So if something will make him more favorable with the people, then he is going to do that. When he sees that the Jews are happy, he, he just gets even more violent. He arrests Peter. Um, and and this, this doesn't only help his position with his people, but it also helps squash this new pesky religious group that, that in chapter 11, uh, they were labeled Christians. 
Uh, now, there are several Herods in the Bible. I don't know for you if it's hard to remember what Herods what, or maybe you've never even known, maybe you thought they were all the same. Uh, but this Herod in chapter 12 is Herod Agrippa. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great is the one uh, when Jesus was born, he heard about this baby born that was to be the king of the Jews. Uh, Herod the Great was not going to have that, so he set out to kill uh, all the baby boys that were, that were born around the time of Jesus so that there would not be a threat to his throne. Herod the Great also killed his own son, who was the father of Herod Agrippa. Right? This is a messy family. This is a violent family. Herod Agrippa, the, the Herod of Acts 12, um, after his father's death, he was sent to Rome for his education. Uh, it sounds like he was, he was kind of a, a playboy. Um, in AD 23, he fled to to Palestine to escape um, his creditors, and, and there he lived in poverty under uh, his uncle, who was also named Herod. Uh, when he came back to Rome, he was uh, imprisoned by uh, Emperor Tiberius for some remarks that Herod made about the emperor that did not go over well. Uh, certainly this was rock bottom for him. Eventually, Tiberius died, and one of Herod Agrippa's childhood friends comes into power, frees Herod Agrippa, even gives Herod a little bit of power, uh, and then that friend was actually succeeded by another childhood friend who uh, further exalted uh, Herod Agrippa, gave more power. Now he was the ruler over Judea and Samaria. And, and what we're told about Herod Agrippa is that he used whatever tactics uh, needed to help him keep power. When he was with the Romans, he did as the Romans did. Um, he was uh, Jewish by race, not, not by belief or conviction. Um, but when he was with the Jews, he did as the Jews did. He cared about keeping his popularity. Uh, and, and we'll see that, especially next week, that he cared about his exaltation. So he realized that he'd be even more popular for imprisoning Peter, uh, putting him on trial, um, and, and I assume that the, the, the ultimate plan was to kill Peter. Um, and this would also, again, keep the, the Christians at, at bay. Hopefully it would keep them uh, uh, calmed down a bit. So the Christians can do nothing about it, right? There is no legal action that they can take. Uh, they don't have a connection to, to someone in office that, that maybe could get close enough to talk uh, to Herod, right? They, they, can't, they certainly can't break him out of prison. So we come to verse five, it says, so Peter was kept in prison. And then it says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The first five and a half verses, it's just everything is stacked against the early church and against Peter, right? It's like, uh, I know football season just started. I'm not a big football guy, but some of you probably are. Pick whatever sport you like, if you like a sport. So imagine you're, you're, watching, you're watching a sport on ESPN, and uh, you don't even have to know anything about either team because they're going to tell you everything for like two hours in the pregame show about these two teams, right? So the teams are compared. And, and sometimes, especially early in the season, the, the game doesn't really seem fair. It's this powerhouse against this team that, that their name's so long, they just abbreviate it to a few letters. So one team 
on this one side, they've got the winningest coach in college football history, the quarterback on their team. Obviously, he's the star player. He's, he was on the preseason, like, player of the year watch list. They have more five-star recruits than any other team in the country. Even their scout team is great, right? Their scout team has players that, that, that could start at most major universities. And then you have this team of nobodies. Right? This team that's there because their school is getting paid a lot to get beat up by this other team. The poor coach is on his 10th job because he can't win games. The water boy just got promoted to special teams coach. <laughs> Some of the players, they decide to march in the halftime show. Right? Like The game is over before it's even started, and that's kind of what it feels feels like here. It just feels like Luke is showing us, man, everything is against the church. And the church has already faced obstacles. The church has already faced big time opposition, right? They faced problems from the outside, right? The, the pressure from the religious leaders, the arrests, the beatings, the, the threats. They faced problems within the church, right? Members of the church, looking, trying to look like they're, they're good Christians, but really the kingdom they care about is their own, not God's kingdom. Uh, there have been church members that have been neglected, and, and others have been upset about that, so it causes this, this uh, kerfluffle. Uh, certainly, that's a weird word. I don't know why I said kerfluffle. Um, I won't say that again. Uh, the stoning of Stephen happened, and it scatters the church. Right? And, and we know in, in looking at Acts from this, this, this God's eye view, God was using that. But imagine being a Christian in Jerusalem, right? going, man, my friends are gone. Like our best friends moved over there. Our other friends that we were getting to know in small group, they're gone. I'm sure for many it was lonely. And now Herod has killed James. Peter is arrested. The Jews are happy. It's just fueling Herod's fire, his passion against the Christians. I read this quote about Herod. It said that, that murder was his currency. This is a bad man. This is a bad, bad guy. And all that is on one side. And on the other side is the little church. And Luke writes, but the church prayed to God for Peter. And it's like this mic drop. The, the church, if we're sticking with football here, the church only had one play to run. And it couldn't have been a better option. They prayed. And who did they pray to? Well, they prayed to Yahweh, the one who places kings in power, the one who removes kings and tears down dynasties. So harvest, is, is this what we do? Not just when it seems like we have no chance, but, but do we pray in all circumstances? Christians, is this our answer to problems, both big and small? Or do we just worry as if that will do something. Or maybe we scramble to find other solutions. Are we quick to find a way to take care of problems ourselves before we even think about God? Now, I look around here at a, at a room of a lot of people I know, and there are plenty of people here I, I don't know, but man, there's a lot of capable people in this room. This is a group of, of very high-functioning people. And certainly, you, by this point in your life, you've faced several challenges. And you've been able to dig deep. You've been able to make things happen when push comes to shove. And praise God for that. And there's a dark side to being skilled and being smart and resourceful. 
and that it, it, you might have conditioned yourself to not really realize how much you need God. We all do that, right? You're used to being able to figure out whatever comes your way, right? You can hustle yourself out of a jam. You always seem to land on your feet, but are we learning church? Are, are we learning to run to God as the church here in Acts 12 did? So to keep the imagery of the, the, the football game going, in, in Luke 12, what we see here is the game day, right? When you watch that game on ESPN, we don't see all the work that came before that, right? We don't see the, the training camp, the preseason, all the practice. The, the worst thing about any sport, if you ever played a sport, the absolute worst thing, it's probably losing actually, the second worst thing is, is conditioning. It's terrible. Right? You just, your coach is just making you run lines, or, or my high school soccer coach, he called them hell runs, and he was right. They were just absolutely horrible. I don't know how he dreamed up just making us run in all these creative, horrible ways forever. But you do that so that you've got gas in the tank, so to speak, right? So that, so that you're ready in that moment on game day when, when the play is right there before you and you can outrun your opponent or jump higher, hit harder, what, whatever it is, right? We see the results here in 12, but this is a church that already knew how to pray. And we know that from early in, in Acts, that they were committed to prayer. So again, is is prayer a reflex for us, right? Is it the play that you run every day and throughout the day? When life happens, do you pray? Because that's what they did. People from the church gathered to pray. The, the last church I was a part of, um, I'll never forget that, that fall afternoon, I was driving around, I think I was running some errands after work when I got a call from another guy on staff, Clark. And he told me uh, that, that our good friends, uh, their son had been killed in Iraq. And, and, and my heart just broke. And I said, Clark, what do we what do? We do? What, do they, what do they want us to do? And he said, come over, get Lindsay and come over. So I called Lindsay. She was on her way home from work. And I didn't know who was going to be there. I thought maybe some of us from staff, some from their small group. But man, they, they wanted a lot of people there. There were dozens upon dozens. My guess is 40 or 50 people were there. People were bringing food in. And, and, and we were there. I don't even know how late we were there that night. We were there for hours and hours and hours. And, and there were so many people. It's not, like, it's not like we just sat in a circle with a couple and, and talked. Like there were just pockets of people. And as some were talking to them and, and, and crying and, and hearing stories and, and laughing, others realized, we got to pray. We, we just have to pray. And, and it, it uh, man, it, it a lot of prayer came out of that. There were, there were people that were organizing other prayer times. I remember there were um, guys that were meeting at six in the morning on their driveway every day for, for a long time just to pray for that couple. And God's people are a praying people. Verse six, Herod, he, he's not playing around, right? He's got uh, Peter under serious lockdown. He's got two soldiers bound to Peter by chains. Two more are guarding the, the gate. Um, from what I've read, it seems likely that there, there's a, a, a shift switch like every three hours. And somehow we find Peter asleep. I don't know how Peter was able to sleep. Right? Was it peace? I don't know. Maybe it was exhaustion. I'm not sure. However, Peter does seem to be pretty good at sleeping as death looms in different situations. 
verses 7 through 9, uh, the angel appears, right? This bright light is shining, but it doesn't wake Peter up, which tells me like he is out. I don't know about you, but I hate light when I sleep. Like we, we spent extra to get the, uh, the blackout shades, but even that I've discovered isn't enough for me. So I purchased a sleeping mask, right? It goes over my head. I've got that. I've got my mouth guard in. My wife probably finds me unresistible. Irresistible at night. Anyway, I hate, I hate the light. Like even just the, 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 the light from the street, like it somehow weaves its way through all these windows and I can see it in my room. So I put this on and it's better than closing my eyes. It is so dark. Peter didn't need that. Right? The angel comes, fills the prison with light. Peter's out. The angel has to strike him on the side. He tells him, get up, get dressed quickly. Right? Peter doesn't know what's going on, which I mean, to be fair to Peter, it makes sense, right? He's woken up out of this deep sleep. He's kind of in this stupor. Angel says, get dressed. And Peter starts to get dressed, but apparently forgets something. Angel gives him more instructions like, no, put on your cloak too. And, and Peter just thinks all of this is a vision at this point, which again tells me that I don't think Peter expected that God would free him. God had done that before, but I don't think he expected it. I, I think that he thought he was going to die, um, that, that he was going to be executed for Christ. And in a bit, we'll see that the people in the church that gathered to pray, I don't think they expected either. I don't think many of them even prayed for it. I assume probably some did, but, but I don't think very many of them did at all. And, and even those who did, I'm not sure that they expected it based on their reaction to Peter. And so if you, if you ever feel like, as a Christian, your faith is so weak. Man, be encouraged by this passage, by, by this account of the early church. God is answering prayers for Peter. And, 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 and again, people praying, I don't even think necessarily praying for him to be released, but if they were, I don't think they expect he'd be freed. And, and yet God answers those prayers. Right? God is not limited by our just so often weak prayers. Paul tells us, we don't really know how to pray, right? We need the Holy Spirit to pray for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thank God for that. Here, God answers prayers beyond what they prayed for, or at least beyond what they expected. God is so gracious. So Peter, uh, he, he walks, he's following the angel, he passes the first guard, he passes by the next guard, he gets to the, a, the gate, and it just kind of like, right, that's my automatic gate opening sound. And they, they walk into the street, they go like a block or so, and then the angel's gone. And Peter realizes, oh, that was real. God just did that. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Right? Peter understands what happened. In verse 12, he decides to go where his friends, the, the believers, will be gathered praying for them. Right? He couldn't text someone and say, hey, I'm out. Where are you guys? No, he knew where they would be. Right? This, this further tells me that the, this church, they prayed together, right? not just in dire circumstances, but, but certainly Peter knew 
they would be gathered there on this night. So verse 14 is where it gets really funny, right? He goes, knocks at the gate. This servant girl named Rhoda comes up, and uh, Rhoda uh, is clearly emotionally invested in Peter and, and his release. Like, she is not uh, just a servant. So verse 14, uh, he's knocking. Verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate, right? She's so excited, she just takes off to tell everyone and totally forgets to let him in. I'm sure Luke, as he's writing this, was just laughing. So she runs in, tells the room, hey, Peter's been freed. He's standing at the gate. And how do they respond? You're crazy. No, you're nuts. There's no way you're out of your mind. And someone says, oh, it must, be, it must be his angel. Yeah, because everybody must have an angel that sounds just like them, right? That was more probable to the person that suggested that than God freed Peter from prison. Rhoda, they're saying, stop bugging us so that we can pray for the thing that you're saying just happened. Well, Peter, Peter persisted, right? He keeps knocking. Maybe he yells, hey, guys, little help. It's me. God opened the other gate, but this one doesn't seem to open on its own. Right? And, and, and finally, the gate's opened for him, and everyone's amazed. Right? They, they cannot believe it. There he is. Right? His presence in Mary's house causes quite a commotion with everyone gathered there. So verse 17 Peter, but motioning to them, this is Peter, uh, with his hand to be silent. And, and he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to, to James, obviously not James, his brother, but James, brother of Jesus, and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Right? Peter understood that it was God that freed him from prison, probably execution. Right? This was the Lord. Yes, the people prayed. Right? There's power in prayer. That's true, but it's because of who we pray to. Right? They prayed to Yahweh. Yeah, the church's prayers, as I've said, certainly weren't perfect. Uh, my guess is that most of them, and I'm guessing here, uh, that, that they're praying for Peter to be strengthened. Uh, I'm guessing that, that they prayed uh, for Peter to, to be able to witness, to be a, a great testimony to the guards to the other prisoners, like, like we, we see later uh, that, that, that other Christian prisoners do. Um, I'm guessing that they prayed for the trial to go well. Maybe some were praying that, that the punishment wouldn't be execution, that it would just be uh, a flogging. Um, and I'm guessing that, that at least a couple prayed that, that Peter would be released, but I don't think they believed it, right? Based on the, how they responded there, I don't think they believed it. And you and I know what it's like to pray for something and, and knowing on one level, yes, God can do this, but really doubting that he will. And, and then internally, maybe you don't verbalize it, but internally you're thinking, do I even want to pray for this? Do, do I want to get my hopes up and, 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 and just further weaken my faith? If, 
If that's ever been you, man, I want to remind you about a story in, in Mark chapter 9. This dad comes up to Jesus. I, I encourage you to look this up later on your own. This dad comes to Jesus. His son is sick. His son, his only hope is, is, is that, that Jesus will heal him. He comes to Jesus. Obviously, he has some amount of faith that, that Jesus can do this. But he makes the request to Jesus in really a, a sheepish way. And maybe it's just a slip of the tongue, but, but he, he says, Jesus, if you can heal my son, and Jesus picks up on that. And he's like, no, it, it's, it's not a matter of if. Right? This, for the one who believes, man, this is going to happen. And, and the man responds. He says, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And, and I'm so thankful for that story because so often that's me. Lord, I, I believe. God, will you help me? Will you help me in my doubts? Will you help me in my unbelief? And I'm sure there are probably times as a Christian where your faith in God and what he can do is so strong that you pray boldly, totally, uh, totally sure that, that God can do this if he wills it. And then there are moments where you just barely feel like you can hang on. Well, pray like that dad in Mark 9. God, I, I believe you are good. Help me in my unbelief. God, I believe that you are the great physician. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe that you can turn my loved one's heart to you. Help me in my unbelief. I believe you're working all things for the good of those who love you. Help me in my unbelief. I believe that you can free me from this sin that so easily entangles. Help me in my unbelief. Our prayers at times might feel just so puny, but the God we are praying to isn't. And he loves to answer the prayers of his children. Right? He's designed it this way that we would come to him and he shows us his goodness. He shows us his power, his authority, his care. He lavishes us with his love. And now this story in Acts 12, it's just a handful of days that they're praying for Peter. And specifically, we see the one night. But, but if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know it isn't always that quick. Right? Some of you, many of you, have been praying the same prayer for years now, maybe decades. Another thing I alluded to earlier is that uh, the believers were praying together. This is corporate prayer, right? Uh, praying on our own is good. Right? We should do that. But I'm guessing that as American Christians, right, we are, we are hyper-individualized. We, we could all, we all should be praying more with other believers. You've probably heard this before about the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is asked, like, how should we pray Jesus? His response is, our Father, right? Not, not my Father. Jesus assumes that, that we are praying with other believers, so do you do that? Or actually, do we do that? See right there, we are individualized. Do we do that? We need to more. So I, I'd encourage you, if you're getting together with a brother or sister in Christ to, um, to do a Bible read-through, or maybe you're part of a Bible study, or a small group, or I don't know, you're, you're, you're an accountability group, whatever it is, man, let's get some more time in prayer together. Not, not just a drive-by, but let's spend some dedicated time praying together. Or the next time 
you're with a, another Christian, right? And, and one of you hears some hard news. Maybe you get a text from, from, from someone else you know that, that loves Jesus. And it, it's, it is tough stuff. Man, instead of just sitting there and, and, and saying how hard that is, why don't you have the courage to say, hey, we need to pray for them right now, right? Like, what are they gonna do? They're not gonna say no thanks, right? They're, they're gonna say, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's pray together. As a church body, we need to pray more together. Uh, the 25th, it's a Sunday, that night, uh, six o'clock, we're gonna have a time just for prayer together. We're, we're really not gonna do anything else but pray together. We're gonna pray for our country. We're gonna pray for our world. We'll pray for our missionaries. We'll pray for schools and families. We'll pray for ministries of harvest. So I hope that we have a, a bunch of people there to pray. But when stuff happens in life, what is your response? Right? Are you a fixer? Do you freak out? Do you pray? James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Matthew 7, Jesus says, come on, even an earthly dad, right? When, when his kids ask him for a gift, they, they, they give good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father bless you when you ask him? 18 and 19 end our passage today. It says, uh, now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Right? Herod's not happy. The, the control, the authority, the power that he thought he had and really everybody thought he had was not the power that God had. It's not the power that God still has today. Right? Kings bow down to Yahweh. And again, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. I'll end with uh, this story. Just before World War II in a little town in Texas that I'm not going to try to pronounce um, there was a, a horrible tragedy. A, a, a fire broke out in a school, uh, and 263 children died in that fire. Um, after the war ended, the town uh, it started to grow. Eventually, they built uh, a new school, which featured one of the, the, the finest sprinkler systems in our, our whole country at that time. And, and so this, this little town, they were really proud of, of what they had built. Honor students were selected to guide visitors on tours of the new facilities, and they pointed out you know, these state-of-the-art fire sprinkler systems that they had. Um, and, and the thought was, well, never again will we experience a tragedy like this. Well, the town continued to grow over the next uh, several years, and seven years later, had grown enough that they need to add a whole new wing to the school. And when they started construction, it was discovered that the sprinkler system had never been connected. Right, seven years. And they had this thing designed to save that they weren't even connected to. I'm just like, man, I don't want that to be us. Right? I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't want to, to take God's offer of, hey, come to me, ask me and I'm gonna bless you, right? I'm I'm gonna I'm going to in my will I'm gonna respond to the prayers of my people. I just wonder, man, how many of us Christians are just disconnected from God like that little sprinkler system that was that that was supposedly so powerful? Would you pray with me right now, Lord? We we confess 
that, that we need to grow, Jesus. We, we need to grow in, in so many, many ways. And we are so thankful that you are faithful to grow us, that you don't leave us where we are, um, but you continue to grow us and mature us. And, and one way that I'm asking right now, Lord, is that you would grow us into a people that pray, into a people that, that just love to come before you and, and in prayer um, exalt you in prayer, bring our concerns, our, our petitions to you, Lord. Would, would we be a church that intercedes for one another? Lord, would we be a church that, that just can't wait to talk to our Lord? God, we thank you that, that you have given us prayer. We thank you that you respond to our prayers. God, I thank you that, that, that you, I'm convinced, that you put in our hearts the things that we need to pray about, Lord. God, you are so good to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.